this week's episode of Seeking Proof, Finding Grace. I'm your host, Ron Campbell, and this week, as with every week, I always like to start with the most important truth in the entire universe. God loves you. This week, we are going to wrap up this question of fine-tuning of the universe. Now, I want to start off this week by talking about something called Pascal's Wager. Blaise Pascal was a 17th century mathematician, and amongst other things, what we know him for today is something known as Pascal's Wager. And the idea is this. In each of our lives, at one point in time or another, we place a bet, whether we realize it or not. And I think logically this makes good sense. We either bet that God does exist or that he doesn't exist. And Pascal laid it out in these terms. If your goal is to maximize your happiness, which that makes sense, and you're placing this bet, and let's say for the sake of argument that the odds are even, The odds are equal that God does exist versus God doesn't exist. And that's something we're going to come back to here in a minute. But if the odds are even, then logic really can't help you choose between either one of them. The the choice would be equally good either way. But if your goal is to maximize your happiness, Pascal analyzes it like this. He says, if you wager that God exists, and he does then you've hit the jackpot. You've gained eternal happiness. You've gained eternal life. You have been welcomed back into a family with the creator of the universe who loved you so much that he died and gave everything for you. So if you wager that God exists and he does exist, it's the ultimate jackpot. If you wager that God exists and he doesn't exist, well, you haven't really lost anything. You It doesn't impact negatively the quality of your life. You live a good quality life and Everything is good, you might say. But if you wager that God doesn't exist, and it turns out that you're correct, God doesn't exist, again, you haven't gained anything or lost anything. It's a wash. You're you're equal in all of that. But if you wager that God doesn't exist, and he does, then you've suffered catastrophe. You've suffered eternal loss. You've suffered the worst possible thing. So Pascal would look at that and say, The reasonable choice to make is to wager that God exists. Now, that makes a lot of good sense, and I think we can all recognize that. And so for someone who's sitting on the fence going, well, I don't know, you just can't possibly know why should I make a choice, Pascal actually provides a pretty strong argument of why you should make a choice and what choice you should make. But that's only true as long as the odds are equal. And in the 17th century, well, I'm sure that's, or I guess 16th century, that's probably true. But that's not the case anymore. And that's why I wanted to talk about it in terms of the journey that we're taking and where we find ourselves. I want to recap tonight. I want to bring this back together because I think we've now covered two topics fairly well. The creation of the universe and the fine-tuning of the universe. Or the cosmological argument and the teleological argument. As you look at these two things and put them together, I think you have to start asking the question, well, are the odds even? Is there equal op- is there equal evidence that God does exist versus that God doesn't exist? And I think the answer to that is no. And what we're starting to see is not only the fingerprint of intelligence behind the creation of the universe and the design of the universe, but in the course of doing so, I think you start to see the outline of God's fingerprint in all of this as well. The first question that we came to was looking at the scientific evidence on the table that we have today. What is the most likely explanation for how the universe came into existence? And remember, there were three choices. Option number one was that an intelligent outside third party created the universe. 
Option number two was that the universe simply leapt into existence all on its own. So out of nothing, everything came into being, which has lots of scientific problems and logical problems and everything else attached to that. And option number three was that the universe has existed past eternal. Now, for lots of different reasons, we walk through each one of those, we, we recognize that the universe cannot be past eternal. For various reasons, from a logical standpoint, from a philosophical standpoint, but from a scientific standpoint, the most current scientific information that we have on the table today, which is unlikely to change, is that the universe came into existence at a finite point in the past. It has not existed past eternal. It could not have existed past eternal. The second option doesn't work well, again, for philosophical, logical, and scientific reasons. Everything cannot come from nothing. You simply can't generate everything in existence out of nothing if you stick to a true definition of nothing. And there's a lot of temptation here to sneak things in like a quantum vacuum or all sorts of things that are, well, they're just barely something. They're not quite nothing, but they're close to nothing. As long as we stick to a true definition of nothing, the universe could not have leapt into existence from nothing. And when we think about what happened at that initial creation event. Time, space, matter, energy, everything leapt into existence at one moment. So the only way that's possible is if a timeless, spaceless, immaterial entity of enormous power and intelligence brought the universe into existence. That's the only, that's the best option on the table for us, whether we like the option or not. So in reaching that conclusion, I think we're pretty sound in our logic and we're sound in walking through that. So the first thing that we recognize and see is the most reasonable answer, the best answer on the table for where the universe came from is that it was created by an independent third party. Well, then we move to this second question of the universe that we have, the fine tuning of the universe. And again, we had three different options to explain that. What we find when we look at the universe around us is that it is so finely tuned for the existence of life in the universe. There are so many of these factors that scientists have discovered since the 1950s, 1960s, around in there. All of those factors point to the fingerprint of intelligence. I love this quote from Clifford Longley. We talked about it here a few weeks ago. The anthropic design argument and what it points to is, is of such an order of certainty that in any other sphere of science, it would be regarded as settled. To insist otherwise is like insisting that Shakespeare was not written by Shakespeare because it might have been written by a billion monkeys sitting at a billion keyboards typing for a billion years. So it might. But the, slight, but the sight of scientific atheists clutching at such desperate straws has put new spring into the step of theists. Now, what is he talking about there? And it's this question of fine-tuning that we've been discussing. This idea of the, of the appearance of fine-tuning that it looks like somebody came in and set all of these incredibly important foundational values for gravity and the weak nuclear force and the strong nuclear force and so many other things that they've all been set to such precise values that the only way that could have happened was by the guiding hand of intelligence. If we go back to Fred Hoyle, who was the one who started us off on this journey looking at how carbon is produced, which of course is how we ultimately came into existence, Hoyle's quote, uh, looking at this topic, was a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect 
has monkeyed with the physics as well as with chemistry and biology. And there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. The numbers one calculates from the facts seem to me to be from the facts seem to me so overwhelming as to put the conclusion almost beyond question. And that's Hoyle as he was looking at this. And Hoyle at the time, remember Hoyle when he discovered these things was an atheist. Um, I think he died an agnostic. But when you look at this question, it wasn't a Christian who was writing that and talking about it. Hoyle was looking at it going, it's just not possible. It is not remotely possible of how difficult everything has to come together to make carbon in the universe in enough quantity that we would be able to exist. It's just, it defies logic and reason. So again, what we found was three different choices. Option number one was that an intelligent third party fine-tuned the universe to allow for the existence of life. Number two was that it all came together, but by necessity it had to. So all of these values, yes, they're remarkably unlikely, but that's the way they had to be, that there was a driving force behind that. And then option number three was, well, it was just luck, that, that we hit the universal lottery, that somehow everything just happened to come together perfectly in this one little universe of ours. And, and we talked about some options of so, you know what naturalists look at to try to get them there. Does the multiverse help to get them there? And what we ultimately found was the answer is no. And that, there were a lot of reasons behind that. The mathematical odds are still just overwhelmingly bad. But the main problem with the multiverse and all of this, other than the fact that, again, we're, we lack evidence to indicate that any of this actually works, and the main theories behind getting us to a multiverse both have problems, severe problems attached to them. But on top of all of that, the multiverse actually exacerbates the problem of fine-tuning because whatever it is that would be, and again, the idea behind the multiverse is that somewhere out there, there is this entity that is just generating universe after universe after universe. It has to be an infinite number of universes that this thing is out there generating because you need an infinite number of odds to raise the luck high enough to get you past the odds of fine-tuning which really is a plea of desperation. I mean, if, if we're being honest here. But if you had fine-tuning at that level, the problem is the entity that's generating all of these universes has to be even more finely tuned than just a universe popping into existence out of nothing. So not only do you have all of the difficulties of the fine-tuning of the universe that we have, the thing that's been spinning out universes for all eternity, whatever it is that that might be, it's got to be incredibly finely tuned to be able to generate universe after universe. Where does it get the energy from? Where does it, how is it releasing each one of these universes over and over again? What's the physics behind that? How does it look like? Where, where does the, the debris from old universes go? What happens with each one of these universes and how is it coming together? Logically, it doesn't work and doesn't put together. And when you, when you really dig into it, the multiverse, while it might be theoretically possible, it is such an enormous stretch just to get around the mathematics of the situation. As Clifford Longley said, the sight of si but the sight of scientific atheists clutching at such desperate straws has put new spring in the step of theists. That's actually right. It, it really is a plea to desperation. So the question that we have to address and that we have to look at is, after looking at that, and, and the second option that we looked at was that we just very briefly touched on the idea that 
somehow by necessity the values of universal fine-tuning, and remember there are dozens of them, the values of universal fine-tuning had to come out this way because of some compelling force that drove them this way. And again, when you raise that point, it starts creeping closer and closer to option number one, which is an intelligent guiding third party is the force behind pushing it in that direction. When you look at the odds, luck cannot answer the odds of these things. And the, I'm not going to belabor the point again tonight. We've talked about just a few of the odds, even one of the odds, the initial phase space volume of the universe that Robert Penrose came up with. Even that one thing is enough to just break the bank when it comes to relying on luck and luck being enough to get us there. If we pile one on top of another on top of another, like we did last week when we looked at that uh, example that Stephen Hawking had come up with, luck cannot get us there. It just simply can't. The only thing that explains fine-tuning to this degree is intelligence. We recognize that in literally every other aspect of our lives. If I pop open the hood on my car, and I think we've talked about this before, I don't know who the engineers were who designed it. I don't know who the team was who put the vehicle together. I don't know all of the work that went into designing that vehicle. But when I look at something as amazingly complex as that vehicle, it is incredibly simple compared to the universe or anything else like it. But yet I would never question that that vehicle just came together by chance, that a tornado going through a junkyard could suddenly somehow generate a vehicle and, and spit out my car, you know, and on top of it. That's never going to happen. But the odds of that happening are infinitely better than luck being the explanation for how we got here. It just simply cannot be. And when we look at this and we recognize that there has to be an intelligence behind the fine-tuning, when we combine that with the best possible answer for how the universe got here being an intelligent outside third party, what we start to see as we walk through this journey is more and more we see the fingerprint of intelligence. We see design. This isn't a God of the gaps argument at all. What we see is design. What we see is intelligence. And what we're doing is recognizing that. We're not inserting God into the discussion because we have no good answers. What we're doing is recognizing that the only entity that could bring something like the universe into existence, well, is an outside third party. The only entity that could explain the design of the universe is an outside third party. And so what we start seeing is evidence pointing us to an outside third party being responsible. And that's the only reasonable conclusion that we can draw. So naturalism fails to put on the table a reasonable answer for where did the universe come from? Or how is the universe so finely tuned for life as it, as it is? Those are two huge, huge questions. And at some point, we should expect both arguments, naturalism and theism, to be able to put a legitimate argument on the table for how we got here. And at the very beginning, you can't build a foundation with luck. And that's what we're ultimately asked to do, is to hope that somehow miraculously, interesting word, but I mean, let's be honest, everything came from nothing and that somehow there's a universal generating machine out there that keeps spitting out universes infinitely until it spits out so many that we happen to just get lucky to be in the one universe where life is possible. And 
that just seems like desperation. You know, I think there's a, an, an image painted out there that religious people or people who believe in God are just clinging to blind faith. And if they only knew the science behind these things, they would understand the error of their ways. And that science, oftentimes referring to science in the third person, that science has explained all of this. But none of that's true. And the reality is, in the last hundred years, scientific discoveries have brought us closer and closer and closer to God than we ever possibly could have imagined. You know, I think about this quote from uh, our old friend Richard Dawkins. Dawkins, in his book, The God Delusion, said, If all the evidence in the universe turned in favor of creationism, I would be the first to admit it, and I would immediately change my mind. As things stand, however, all available evidence, and there is a vast amount of it, favors evolution. It is for this reason and this reason alone that I argue for evolution with a passion that matches the passion of those who argue against it. My passion is based on evidence. Theirs, flying in the face of evidence as it does, is truly fundamentalist. Now, in fairness to Richard Dawkins, most of what he looks at comes long after the creation of the universe, and we'll get to the Darwin's theory of evolution when we talk about this, when we talk about that down the road. But when you look at that question, and, and we think about Pascal's wager, there is a temptation to want to walk away from this and go, yeah, but someday science will come up with an answer. Not in this case, not in either of these cases. The more we go forward, the more we learn about the universe, the more of these fine-tuning examples that scientists are discovering, it's not less, it's more. And the more of them that you discover, the more fine-tuned that we find the universe to be, the more it points to the fingerprint of a creator. The more we start to see the fingerprint of God coming into view. Again, it's not conclusive scientific proof of God's existence, but along the way, the weight of the journey, the cumulative weight of each one of these steps, more and more points the finger to God. So with Pascal's wager, we looked at that and said, well, if the odds are even... But the odds aren't even. And as we take this journey, the one thing I would ask you to consider is consider the possibility that at the end of the day, there is a creator that loves you more than you could ever possibly imagine waiting for you with open arms. You know, that's the whole point of this podcast. There are probably other ways I could have chosen to spend this evening, but there's a reason I want to take this journey with you. God loved me when I was unlovable. God loved me so much that he gave everything for me. And that same God that loved me more than I ever could have imagined, who was waiting there for me, is waiting there for you. And as you take this journey and maybe scratch your head and go, I don't know why Christians keep pushing these points. I don't understand why they keep making these arguments. I've heard it before and I don't really care. The arguments are there that point to the fingerprint of design. And that's what we're going to see as we keep going forward is more and more the fingerprint of design. But the reason behind the design is you. And it's because you're that important. You're that important to a creator who loved you so much. He did all of this for me and for you. And I hope someday you find that. So what do we do at this point? Do we stop? No, I think that, again, the weight is in the journey. For me, as a numbers guy, this one is just massively important. Um, numbers are what I do. It's my job. And so for me, numbers are critical, and this one just screams out to the existence of a creator in, in my case. I understand it's not true for everybody. I'm a numbers guy. It's my thing.
But as we look at this and as we move forward, again, it's the cumulative weight of the journey, which is where the truth lies. As we go forward next week, I'm going to ask you for a little bit more of a concession as we take our next step and we start looking at, uh, we start closing in on this little solar system of ours, the galaxy that we're in and the solar system that we find ourselves in. We're going to look a little bit more at how we got here and where those things might be. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode, and I hope you've enjoyed this phase of the journey looking at the fine-tuning of the universe. If you enjoyed the episode, I hope you'll consider hitting the like and subscribe button. You can find our podcast here on YouTube, out on iTunes or Spotify. And as always, you can find us on our website at prooftograce.com, and you can reach out to us via email at prooftograce at yahoo.com. Thank you so much for joining us, and I look forward to seeing you next time. Bye-bye.